0: It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
2: I want this story to end with someone like saving a shot with a blast of explosive place diarrhea. Welcome to Pint of Football, where much like Paul skulls, we hope to develop intimate and creepy relationships with our listeners and their delicious feet. (laughs) I am the fully DBS compliant Tom Meadowcroft, and joining me, as always, from the just visiting square of Stafford Prison, for now, is Darren Napton. And as a special treat for you all, we have our emotional support scouser, Andy Baxter.
1: (laughs) Evening and all. What an intro, eh?
0: You know, you think that when someone says that story about Paul Scholes, you think that's got to be a wind-up. He's got to be, you know, I've got to have misunderstood what that story actually means, but it it does seem to be real. It's just really odd, really odd.
1: I feel (laughs) as though the only way we can forget the events of Paul Scholes is to talk about... (laughs) It's, uh, I, no, no, we we don't need to. That's honestly
2: good. the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. What <laughs> the fuck? Oh, <laughs> uh, I think running oldham destroyed his brain.
1: It must have done. Thankfully, we've on. got early 1900s football to discuss, and so far, from what I've seen, I don't think there's any stories of uh, foot fetishes. So um, we might, we might just get through this tonight. <laughs> so just to recap from last time me and Baxter uh, in lieu of Tom not being here had the mammoth task of um selecting the best story from the pre-1900s and uh just want to uh whilst we're here on the recording get Tom's seal of approval that the trusted goalkeeper was indeed your favorite story of the era
2: I definitely remember at least fifty percent of the the anecdotes, and I heartily endorse your picks.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Let's say no more of that, and let's move <laughs> on to the nineteen hundreds. And we start in the home of Andy Baxter. Nice. It's nineteen o two, January. Soccer sickness.
0: Okay. Mm. Yeah, not a lot in that to uh, to give as many clues.
1: No, I mean there was a lot of sickness knocking about in the early 1900s, so it could be quite brutal, or maybe just something that's a bit uh, prehistoric and doesn't exist anymore.
2: Okay, we'll smallpox. I like how Spanish flu is called Spanish flu, even though it didn't come from Spain. Soccer sickness is actually smallpox.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Is that right? If they didn't come from Spain. Why is it known no, as the, Spanish flu?
2: I, I think like um, everyone apart from Spain tried to cover it up because it was during World War One, and the first reports like came from Spain. Oh, they're like wow. they're the only people who didn't censor it in their press. Hey, <laughs> oh, it'd be all right. <laughs> a bit of flu. Yeah, it's it's a, a, bit a bit of a cold, cold English. English. <laughs>
1: let's kick things off and there's no better way to kick off a football story as we've already referenced three or four times in this book from talking about the Stoke City management made a serious tactical error before the game at Liverpool I swear that half these stories have been in Stoke or about Stoke
0: this guy from Stoke is that what it is he just hasn't gone very far to research it
1: Maybe. Well, <laughs> yes. I mean, so far, I definitely haven't left the country. So, uh, considering it's football strangest stories, we, we might have to venture a bit further than live What are all these point. stories
0: about Rutland? I yeah. think there's going to be follow up books that are uh, Caribbean football stranger stories and then West African uh, football stranger st- stories.
1: We can only hope. Anyway, going back to this Stoke City serious tactical error, uh, we've, all, we've all seen tactical errors before, but this one from the Stoke City management was that they allowed all of the players to eat place for lunch. As in the fish. Okay,
2: I'll, I'll volunteer for this. Why is it bad to eat place before a game of football, Daz?
1: Let's find out. <laughs> After half time in the game, only seven Stoke players were fit to resume the Stoke secretary, Mister Osterberry, was very sympathetic. He was as sick as any of them. Okay. <laughs> and then it's not damn place, I tell you. It must be the you place. Put it in the
2: put it in the uh, what was it? Dukesbury brine. Oh. Droitwich <laughs> brine. Droitwich oh, oh, brine. Come on.
1: Oh yeah, boiled in Droitwich brine. Do you think
2: Dukesbury is a real place?
1: We go on to find another one of our classic goalkeeper names now. So we've got Stoke goalkeeper, who's called Dick Roos.
0: (laughs) It's
1: quite a good name, actually. I don't know if it's pronounced Roos or Roos, as in like... I think it's probably Roos, because we had a Luke Roos at Rovers for a bit. Ah, there you go. But he was in distress before the game even started. Welsh international... He was known for being an adventurous goalkeeper whose tactics of wandering all over the field were not curbed until the 1912 change of law.
2: (laughs) Wandering all over the field with a trail of diarrhea behind him.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I want to know more about this law that was changed.
1: Well, you sh- you should know by now, Bax, that we're probably not going to find out what the law well, was well,
0: yeah, or
1: now is. But it might have been to do with where goalkeepers could Wonder. pick the pick the ball up, maybe, or maybe, uh, maybe probably yeah, probably that.
2: I seem yeah. to remember like basically okay, yeah. Again, I'm going back to the Ballers round by David Goldblatt. Like before, um, rugby and association football fully split. Like goalkeepers would just run out with it in their hands and get like as
1: far as possible. <laughs> and you could just, like, bundle people over and shit. Oh. Bring that back, I say. <laughs> yeah, they were the days. So anyway, uh, on this day, Roos could think of nothing but wandering off the field as quickly as possible. He lasted just 10 minutes, by which time Stoke were a goal behind.
2: Womp, womp, womp.
1: one nil down, goalkeeper <laughs> walks off the pitch, clenching his buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> and of course Ooh, me boom. of course then the Stoke manager just shouts who wants to go in goal then lads, come on, someone will have to go in oh, I, I, I've had a very bad experience of this when I was playing, when I was <sighs> younger we were in um, a cup semi-final back in Scarborough and if we'd have won the semi-final we'd have actually got to play the final at Scarborough's old ground And our goalkeeper got kicked in the head and had to go to hospital. And basically, (laughs) it was like, who's going to go in goal? And we had a centre-back called Kyle, who was probably like our most agile player, but also the player that probably wasn't going to score the winner. So he reluctantly was ushered into goal. The first shot he had against him, the way he saved it, he dislocated his wrist. So then, after that, I had to go in. Shout out to
0: Kyle!
1: I had to go in goal after that, and it was.
2: And you got the shirts.
1: (laughs) Well, I did have some place before the game, (laughs) but yeah. So yeah, I do. I do definitely. I can already hear the gaffer shouting, "Who wants to go in goal? Who wants to go in goal?" The answer to that, mate, is no one.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to.
1: (laughs) And you're a goalkeeper. Absolutely, yeah.
2: I can only play goal or uh, <laughs> center, center defense, and I don't like going goal. It scares. It. It's, it's it's too much pressure. Yeah, I think if so, I was a pro goalkeeper, I would cry a lot.
1: I'm sure you probably would, but that's the same with doing this podcast. To be fair, <laughs>
0: the pressure is of, huge.
1: A lot of the uh, mental stamina is required. But it, yeah. It,
0: it, it needs sort of similar levels of focus, doesn't it? Podcasting and being a professional goalkeeper. It'll be yeah. sort of switched on and ready at all times.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Not just best... sort
0: of wander off like Dick Roos.
1: Yeah. But it was Meredith...
0: The Roos
2: is loose!
1: It was right. Ma- Meredith was the unlucky <laughs> Stoke player appointed as deputy goalkeeper for the rest of the first half, during which time he conceded three goals... Meredith made frantic gestures to indicate he would be happier out of the goal. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: I just imagine, I'm just remembering Mr Burns, like, uh, signalling to Homer when they're playing uh, softball. In the softball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I want this story to end with someone, like, saving a shot with a blast of explosive place diary.
1: Well, I'll carry on and I'll see if that's how it ends. His captain, Johnston, merely flashed back encouraging smiles. Yeah, I suppose that's probably what you do because you're the captain and it's, you don't want to go in yourself. But at halftime, the busiest man in the dressing room was Dr. Moody. <laughs>
2: <laughs> who Dr. Moody.
1: Who examined most of the players and detected signs of lead poisoning.
0: Oh, dear. Oh, God. Ah, uh, uh, the old times. How have they prepared this place? <laughs>
2: <laughs> In a lead uh, reduction.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Moody had made his own way to the ground and had therefore escaped the midday meal. Ah, here we go. So Dr Moody was well on the case with this. He knew what was going to be going down. He knows what sort of dodgy meals the stokies eat before with their uh, lead-cooked place oatcakes. <laughs> So he made his own way there. Roos and Ashworth were the most afflicted of the Stoke players, and it was apparent that they would take no further part in the match. Dr. Moody also recommended that Watkins and Whitehouse remain in the dressing room. Wow. So the only two Stoke players who were unaffected, no, they weren't even players. It was the two trainers, and they just decided not to have the fish at lunchtime. Oh, man, this must be horrendous. Dr Moody was left in no doubt about the seriousness of the illness. He said later, in fact, the dressing room resembled the cabin of a cross-channel steamer in bad weather and (laughs) smelled like it. A bit bit laboured of an analogy, that one, isn't it? But all right, we'll go with it. Having smelt normal half-time dressing rooms... It's Mm. actually hard to imagine how much worse they can get. But, yeah, I think that'd do it. That'd do it. Stokes started the second half with seven players. They played with a goalkeeper. Still Meredith, he couldn't quite sneak back onto the field. They had one at the back, two halves and three forwards.
2: Yeah, like in the old days, they they basically didn't believe in defenders, did they? It was just hoofball all the time.
1: So they genuinely were playing a one, two, three. Which um, apparently they did quite well with. There was a short spell when Liverpool failed to score. Ah, oh, well, that's kind of like the equivalent of when San Marino have made it ten minutes in without conceding. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a bit like um, Latvia, England last night.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I'm being said about that. Sleep. like the
2: the, the um, Latvia goalkeeper like made a double save during a penalty, and it was like, yeah, good for you. That's the only good thing you guys are going to do this game.
1: Yeah. But while people were beginning to debate at what point the game might be abandoned, the two missing forwards, Watkins and Whitehouse, gallantly reappeared against Doctor's orders. We're fucking empty, Ah, lads.
0: We're playing on.
1: (laughs) It's 1902. You can't tell me what to do.
0: I I imagine their theory was they wouldn't get tightly marked.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, no man marking in this le- in this game. Goalkeeper Roos, meanwhile, who had a pulse rate of 148 per minute when he left the field, would need a few hours rest to recover. Yeah. Uh, cheap skate. I hope he didn't get paid. In his absence, Liverpool scored some soft goals. So that's uh, quite soft.
2: Don't use the word soft.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, some uh, runny goals. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's bad writing, dude.
1: <laughs> not until the sixth went in did Meredith have his wish granted. Clark took over in goal. The final total was seven. Not Stoke's favourite number. They had seven fit men, conceded seven goals, and then went on to lose the next seven games. Oh. The end.
0: I don't think seven's that bad, considering. Considering, you know, So, it must have been like um, a scene from Apocalypse Now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, is it peak football yet?
0: No. (laughs) Just slightly off topic, but not really. What happened when Gary Lineker had his incident in that? It may have been the World Cup. Did he just leave the pitch or did he carry on?
1: Um, didn't he just like flap his shorts out?
0: Oh, yeah, I
1: think
2: he basically did what that runner did. Remember that? She was it Paula like, Radcliffe? It That's the one. Yeah. Or possibly, I don't know. If it, it might be Paula Radcliffe.
1: No, there was also a similar incident, a much more, um, well, I say subtle. It was still very well documented. But didn't Eric Dyer run for a dump before a penalty shootout last year?
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. I thought you were gonna say West Ham against someone, though, because didn't they, did they eat lasagna, <laughs> and it made them all ill? Oh, yeah. Have I made that up.
1: No, that that was also Spurs. Usually, anything that's like a weird story that doesn't happen to usual teams is usually Spurs. It's but... Usually,
0: Spurs. Fine.
1: Yeah, I think wasn't it at Wembley, and they'd like blamed Wembley's lasagna for giving them food poisoning, and then some guy. Was It was during lockdown, I think. Some guy was going to make a lasagna the size of Wembley to go in the world record books in dedication to it.
2: Uh, I, d- I don't remember what that was about. Yeah, I don't want to talk about the Wembley lasagna.
0: Yeah. It feels
1: like we're smashing time.
0: together about four stories here.
1: Yeah. Re- refocus. Refocus. So let's move on a few years to 1905. And I'm going to be very biased here because... This is actually set in the almighty Scarborough. I cannot wait for this. And I mean, I've already read it, but and it's not even a good story. I'm going to spoil that for you straight away. But <laughs> the fact it's set in Scarborough. Well, this is a good
2: episode. Shit and bad story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's set in Scarborough. The game between the fishermen and the fireman. So Sorry. you can probably tell what it's going to be about.
2: I don't know what city or town is renowned for its fire brigade. Certainly that's not one by there. the
1: sea. Yeah. We'll soon
2: see. If you get any fire, Whoa. just chuck it in the sea. Should be all right.
1: <laughs> yes, that's what we do.
0: We went to a, the Met Police match, didn't we? So it stands to reason there might be a...
1: Yeah, the Scarborough fire Firemen FC. Yeah. Maybe. The game between the fishermen and engineer deckhands of Scarborough and District steam trawlers... Was an annual fixture on Boxing Day during the 1900s. Right. That's cool. just yeah, that's just like anywhere in Yorkshire. We have we have so many weird traditions that having a match between fishermen and firemen on Boxing Day just sounds normal. In our village, we had a very similar thing with tug of war. And it was just like it was two pubs, but one pub was like the fisherman's pub, and one was like the I don't know other strong job pub (laughs) and yeah every single boxing day there'd just be tug of war just the other strong job (laughs) (laughs) what else is there Um...
2: lion tamers
1: yeah that was it it was the fishermen versus the lion tamers of flamborough but we're not talking about that we're talking about fishermen versus firemen of scarborough slightly similar but very different in many ways story. The venue was Scarborough's South Sands. Goalposts were sunk in barrels. Top hats were worn. And a precision of decorated tram cars paraded through the main streets on the morning of the match. Sounds good.
2: Football's still very silly at this point, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Top hats and trams.
1: (laughs) It does sound quite wacky, but... Like I say, just to me, this this sounds like it could definitely still be happening. It probably is still happening. To I was gonna say,
2: if it still is, we'll go. We'll go. Is this is the first day. beach soccer game in um, UK history.
1: The Rifle Volunteer Band played as the fishermen and firemen played football. Maybe, maybe that was like an added bonus that they just get to shoot at the players. So maybe they had to try and shoot the ball as it was being played. The players had to use
0: extra skill to sort of dodge the bullets.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a scene from The Matrix. But in 1905, the fishermen won 5-3, but the firemen made amends by winning the tug-of-war competition held afterwards. Yay. There you go, you see.
2: Well, we had tug-of-war in Penang, but that was just like 30 drunks versus the other 30 drunks and their children. (laughs)
1: nice Yeah, there
2: there always used to be like um, uh, air quotes beer night after the village carnival which uh, promptly stopped happening after someone um, swallowed their tongue one year
1: yeah that'd do it not much else to do what other than swallow your
0: tongue (laughs) run out of beer so this'll do there might still be some beer on my tongue
1: all the alcohol (laughs) I can get but anyway, going back to this, the 1905 game was particularly important because the remarkably fine weather helped produce record receipts. The proceeds of the game were Wait, handed.
0: What? How were how they charging people if it was on a beach? It might be for a good cause, mightn't it? People just had a bucket on the way in. People could chuck something in.
1: They had a rifle volunteer band, so maybe they would just yeah. spread around the entrance to the pitch.
0: <laughs> Pay up or we we'll shoot you.
1: Yeah, it, it the, the proceeds of the game were handed over to two widows. The deceased <laughs> men. <laughs> Don't laugh at the two widows, Tom.
2: It's like they um they didn't have a cause in the first place. They just wiped through <laughs> the game and, oh I've got all this charity money. Oh, there's a widow.
1: <laughs> two widows.
2: Come yeah, on. Yeah, classic, like dressed in black.
1: With the top hats on. The deceased yeah. men were John Lancaster a well-known Scarborough cobble man, and Robert Thompson, who had been prominent in local footballing circles. So it's a nice gesture. You can't really uh, knock it, albeit probably an unexpected gesture. They, they, like yeah. so clearly gathered the money, didn't know what to do with it. But the U... <laughs> The unusually large gathering of trawlermen also provided the opportunity for other business. Uh, it, it, there's always another reason. It's the classic Yorkshire way. They say That's it's a charity side hustle. Yeah, this is always it. on they, the
2: fucking make the Yorkshires. They
1: say, they say it's a charity match. Oh yeah, we've got these widows in. Come along and support. And then all the trawlermen are like, "Hey up!" And then Burton Truefit, a fisherman on a heart.
2: <laughs> What regen ass <laughs> name is that?
1: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a good Burton True Fit.
2: <sighs> Fuck me. Okay. Sorry.
1: A fisherman on the Hartleypool trawler was presented with a gold watch to commemorate an occasion when he attempted to rescue a colleague at sea.
2: Wow. I'm so lost. I don't How is, really- this, even, how is this even a weird game? This is just like. There was a game on a beach, and we gave some widows some money, a, a gold watch. It was an
0: attempt to save someone. We don't know how successful it was. The, there was trams <clears> going by. <throat> there was men with guns. It's it's they've just sort of cobbled together everything they could find.
1: I don't think that this story is peak. Neither, sadly,
2: fuck is shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We've had some good ones. I'm
2: going to write a lengthy review on Goodreads. (laughs) I tried to do a podcast about this and all we did was talk about diarrhea and
0: (laughs) bribe.
1: Yeah, so that was the story of the fisherman versus the fireman.
0: Was that the end?
2: There was no game.
1: There was. They won 5-3. And then then the fireman got the revenge in the tug of war.
2: You're a tuggy of war.
1: Right, fire us home with a joke, then.
2: Found out I was color blowing the other day. That one came out of the orange. <laughs>
0: hey, button no. out.